Shalom Lekulam. It's going to be in English, don't worry. I'd like, uh, as usual, to thank the uh, organizers of the Amei Yun for the privilege and the zchut to uh, participate in the Amei Yun, this wonderful project that uh, clearly has something to do not only with the renewal of the study of Tanakh, but with the renewal of the life of the Jewish people in this country. Um, the return to the Tanakh, in a sense, in its, uh, to a certain extent, in its original form, has something to do with the return to this place, to the land, not only to the events that took place here, but to the spirit of the life here in Eretz Yisrael. And it's certainly a wonderful experience. And we're speaking in English, and for most of us that means that we came originally from somewhere else to uh, be part of this project that is part of the Tchiyad Am Yisrael. What I'd like to do today is to, uh, in a sense, <coughs> do a Tchiyad, a uh, tikkun for Naomi in Megillat Ruth. Uh, in doing so, I don't want to take anything away from from Ruth herself. Megillat Ruth is sort of like a uh, you know one of the shortest svarim uh, in the Tanakh. And the amazing thing is that every time you look at, it, every time you study Ruth, every time we read it, preparation for Shavuot, Bichlal, there's always something new that we never saw before, even though it seems to be such a simple story. In a certain sense, it's almost a naive story. Uh, and every time we look at it, there seems to be something new that we never, never, have never seen before. On the other hand, it sort of, I sort of felt that I was taking my life in my hands to talk about Megillat Ruth without talking about Ruth herself. Uh, on the way here, I tried to convince my wife, Sipi, about what I was going to say here, and she, I couldn't couldn't convince her. I said to myself, I can't convince my wife. What am I going to do with you? Uh, but I'm going to try anyway. And uh, I'm going to try to uh, illuminate this uh, wonderful persona, this wonderful person, this wonderful woman, who for some reason, is so, I think it's, I, I call this Sheur the... Uh, a heroine behind the scenes, but the more I, the more I prepared the show, I thought to myself, actually, I should have called it the forgotten heroine. Because uh, most of us have spent, who've spent a lot of time studying the Gilatrut have spent our time in this wonderful, uh, amazing woman who changed her life and became the paradigm for all converts in Jewish history almost, even more than Avraham sometimes. And we've talked uh, uh, about the great chesed that goes all the way through the Megillah. The Midrash talks about the chesed, all the various dimensions of chesed in Megillah Tut. But very seldom have I actually heard a shayu. The more I thought about it, somebody talked about Megillah Tut. It's talked about Naomi. And that's very strange. Because uh, Naomi is really a very powerful figure in the story. <coughs> I would like to begin sort of by uh, trying to show you a little bit of what, what uh, convinced me to give the shayu. 
uh, many of us know that in this, in the uh, sanctuaries here in Michalayim Herzog, you're not supposed to give a shiur without talking about the chiastic structure, uh, structure of the parrot. <laughs> and so, I would like to begin by saying that it's very clear. Many have talked about it that uh, almost everything that happens in Perek Dalit of Megillah, which is a tikkun for almost everything that happened in Perek Aleph. Um, if in Perek Aleph the leaders of Shevet Yehuda went into Galut to Moab, in Perek Dalit a leader of Shevet Yehuda, Boaz, is creating a new reality in Beit Lechem Yehuda, and many of the people in Beit Lechem Yehuda are participating in the chorus of saying... You know, uh, like you're building the house of Peretz, etc. Uh, if Perak Aleph began with a famine in the land, Perak Dalet is a description of the bounty in Eretz Yisrael. And of course, in Perak, if Perak Aleph is a description of death, everyone that you hear about in the first few psukim of Megillat uh, all everybody dies. It's almost like Shakespeare. You know, everybody you know takes place a uh, central place on the on the uh, on the bama, and then you know by the next scene he'll be dead, uh, and <clears throat> and that's what happens to all of Nomi's family, and of course Perak Dalid is a story of the of birth of new life, and not only of new life, it's it's a it's the creation of the shame of the name, somehow. And the issue that we will not talk about here is somehow the uh, taking taking Ruth Boaz taking Ruth has something to do with uh, rebuilding the Nachala, rebuilding the whole family, the whole uh, possession of this family. The Nachala is is, is re, reinstituted in the Jewish people, and that's called creating a shame, creating a name, creating something that will take place that has a life beyond death. So if death is so prevalent in the first chapter, it's not just the creation, it's not just the birth of the child, it's the creating the shame on the nachala. That is the tikkun of that. That has something to do with the very the concept of gu'ula, which is so basic to this megillah. And if you don't understand gu'ula in chapter 25 of Vayikra, you can't really understand gu'ula as it's used in the prophets to talk about God bringing back the Jewish people to God's possession. All that is not part of the shiur. All that means that there's what happens in chapter four is a tikkun of what happened in chapter one. But if you look carefully at uh, the last psukim of Perak Dalid, it's all about Naomi. It's true that Ruth and Boaz brought this child into the world, but in fact, the Megillah Shmuel, who probably wrote the Megillah ends the Megillah as the ultimate tikkun is the tikkun of Naomi's life. She was, we don't know where she came from, from what tribe is from. Is she from Yehuda? Is, is she from a part of the aristocracy of Shevet Yehuda or not? We don't know originally. We will assume that probably yes. <clears throat> and she loses everything. She begins married to one of the leaders of the Jewish people whose name, of course, with a melech, has something to do, all the names are important. Excuse me. Uh, one of the leaders of the tribe of Yudah, the leader of the tribe of Israel, and um, she has a family. She's probably well off. 
and uh, very, very soon she's bereft, as she herself says, don't call me Naomi anymore, in this Megillah where the names are so important, uh, don't call me Naomi, I'm not Naim, my life is not Naim anymore, I'm Mara, I'm embittered. And that's really what happens to her. And the real tikkun in the end, the last tikkun in chapter Dalad, is the tikkun of Naomi's life. Let's read it. Let's begin at the end, which is always a good place to begin. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, when I, do I, need, I probably need to translate. Do I need to translate the? Yes. Okay, we're in chapter four, Paragdalid. <coughs> Excuse me. Pasuk Yud Gimel. Vayikach boezet rut vatiilo leisha vayavu elay v'iten adonai lahi rayon v'telad ben. And Boaz takes root to be his wife and has relations with her. And Hashem gives her the gift of pregnancy and she gives birth to a son. And the women say to Naomi, of course this we remember from the end of chapter 1. This is part of the chaotic structure of, the, of Megillah. How did chapter 1 end? Chapter 1 ended by Naomi's neighbors, her, the women, her women, her friends, saying to her, Hazot Naomi, is this Naomi? And somehow there is a very something very significant about the fact that chapter one ends with this with this chorus. It's like almost like a Greek tragedy. There's this chorus of the women who give us a sense of the movement of the story. Chapter one ends with is this Naomi to tell us the chapter one what it was really all about. And now the Megillah ends with the the same women, I think, Tomana Nashima Naomi, Baruch Adonai. Blessed is Hashem who did not, um, how should I say, he should be, did not, uh, somebody want to translate? He should be a redeemer for your, what do you mean a redeemer? A redeemer for your family, a redeemer for your possession, a redeemer for your, the destiny of your family. Someone came and redeemed the whole destiny of your existence, not just as a private individual, but brought the possession back into your family and gave you a future. And your possession will have a name in Yisrael that connects us to Yibum, connects us to the whole concept of redemption of, of Nachalot. And this son will be someone who will return your spirit to you, give you back your spirit, will rise you up from where you have been, where you're bereft, when you grow old, because of course your son will not be able to to uh, support you, and for the next how many years will he take till he goes back into the field? 16, 17, 18 years, she'll, be, she'll grow old, and yet she will have, a, like a son, to support you in your old age. <coughs> Because the, the woman that you loved or loved you was better than you than, than uh, seven children. And Naomi takes the son, this child, and places her in her in her lap, in her on her knees. Of course, it's just an image. She's the one who brings him up. She's the one who educates him. 
By Tehillah Omenet. And she becomes the Omenet. The nurse. The nurse. It's not just the nurse, the physical the nurse. Mother. The foster mother. The foster mother. She's the foster mother of this child. Well, doesn't, she's, what do you mean foster mother? He has a mother, right? The, the, who lives, who lives with them together? Why does Naomi have to do this? Apparently, Ruth has given her her son. Like Hannah gave her son to the Beit HaMikdash. Ruth is, perhaps they do it together. But the, the Pasuk emphasized, the women emphasized the fact that you know Amir like his mother. And then comes the strangest Pasuk. But the, which is the, really the last Pasuk of the story. And the, her neighbors, right, she's got some very active neighbors, Naomi. Her neighbors call the child, they give the child a name at the Brit. They looked around to see who was going to give the child a name, and, and you know who it was. Sarah Rivka Rachel over on the side here. They say, Ken. Maybe they were up in the, you know, in the women's section, and they say, Yes, the, Oved, Oved. They give the child a name. That's what it says. Datiklena Shmo Oved. And then Shmuel adds, Zuavi Yishayavi David. He's the father of Yishai, the grandfather of David. And if you read this Pasuk carefully, the Pasuk seems to say, and I couldn't convince my wife about this, but the Pasuk seems to say that Naomi has a part of being the grandmother of David. Of course, we all don't want to take anything away from Ruth. So you don't have to leave right now. I don't take anything away from Ruth. She's the grandmother of David. But when you read this Pasuk, Shmuel writes the last Pasuk, Gilat Ruth, to say that in fact, the child looks like the child of Naomi. The women call the child the child of Naomi. She brings him up. She educates him. And he is the father of Yishai, the father of David. As if to say, Naomi has a role, played a role. Because we all like to try to look through Megillat Ruth to see what are the personal qualities of Ruth which can be found in the personal qualities of David. Because a grandmother always, her grandson, you know, takes after. But I think the Pasuk, Shmuel wants to say, don't forget about Naomi, it's her son, called her son and she's her son is the grandfather of that's what the posting seems to say and it's the last pasuk of, uh, of the Megillah if anybody wants to suggest why they call this child Oved the Midrash says Oved Hashem you know for years I've been thinking about this question why did they call him Oved what is he is it Oved who is he Oved is he Oved in the field is he Oved, is he Oved for, in, for, uh, for Naomi? Because he's going to help her. Who? Oved Hashem. Why is it Oved? It's such a significant word and nobody tells us what it means. Anybody have any suggestions? Serve whom? Serve HaKadosh Baruch That's what the Midrash says. Right. But of course here in Herzog if you don't have a new idea uh, I don't know. Could be. Ovadia. There was a prophet named Ovadia. He was, he was a convert. And this is the son of a convert. So maybe he's Ovadia. Anyway, what I, really, what I want to point out is that Noomi is the grandmother of David. 
And therefore we have to ask the question, well, what did Naomi do that made her, that, that allowed Shimon to talk about her in this way? That's what I'd like to do here today. Okay, we're going to spend a few minutes with a little bit of background on Megillat uh, Ruth so that we can talk about Naomi's role in the story. <clears throat> in order to do so, we have to spend a few minutes looking at uh, Sefer Shoftim. Can you all hear me? Is this okay? Is the mic okay? The Megillat Ruth begins with the four words, Vahi Bimesh And it was in the days of the rule of the Shoftim, the period in history of the Shoftim. And you ask yourself, why did Shmuel begin with it? Why couldn't he just begin? Why does he have to connect Megillat Ruth to Sefer Shoftim? And uh, a number of uh, uh, teachers here at Nicoletta Turkseg have talked about the fact that you really need to understand Sefer Shoftim in order to appreciate Megillat Ruth. And I would like to point out only one or two points in that context, which will be important for us to understand uh, what I'd like to say to the Bible Noami. So if you look quickly at the beginning of Sefer Shoftim, those of you who have a Tanakh, I will read it and translate it into English. If you look quickly at Sefer Shoftim, <coughs> the beginning of Sefer Shoftim, and the Jewish people came apparently to the Kohen Gadol and asked him in the Urim Vetumim, who'll be, who'll be the person, the individual, who will lead us against the Canaanites in order to wage war against the Canaanim who live in the land. Vayomer Adonai apparently has an answer in the Urim Vetumim in the Kohen Gadol. The, the, the phraseology remains, reminds us of a number of places that clearly refer to the Urim Vetumim. Yehudaya Aleh. Who's Yehuda? Shevet Yehuda. Of course, it could be that, they're, that they're, when the Jewish people asked the question, they assumed that somebody was going to take the place of Yehoshua, an individual, a leader, who took the place of Moshe. That's what they assumed that they would begin. What they got in answer was the tribe of Yehuda, the time has come, not Shevet Levi, not Moshe from Shevet Levi, not Yoshua from Shevet Ephraim. The time has come for what Yaakov said in his blessing, the leaders of the Jewish people are the tribe of Yehuda. And the leaders of the Jewish people in Sefer Shoftim are supposed to be Shevet Yehuda. They will lead us against, in the war against the Canaanim. And in fact, that's what happens right at the beginning. Right at the beginning, Yehuda invites Shevet Shimon, and they go together and begin the battle to, to conquer the rest of the land. The trouble is, my good friends, that Shevet Yehuda cops out. Shevet Yehuda cops out of their role. Shevet Yudah cops out of the role. One of the uh, important places where we see that, and again, we're going to do this quickly, is in chapter uh, 15, chapter Perak Tetvav, the story of Shimshon. 
It's an amazing, amazing... I don't know if, it's, if you can even read it out loud in public. Chapter 15, Pasuk Tet. Tet Vav Tet 59. Vaya'alu plishtim v'achnu b'yehuda v'yinatshu b'alechi. The plishtim come to and, and create their, their phalanx, their war phalanx uh, in Yehuda, in this area. Vayamu ish Yehuda and they, and they Leaders of the tribe of Yehuda send an emissary to the leaders of the Plishtim and they say, Lama alitem Why suddenly have you come to wage war with us? We haven't, you know, we're sitting at home and we, how shall I say, we, uh, you know, we allow you to have your own Rashuta, uh, what they call it, Rashuta Plishtinit. And we'll be in Yehuda and it's all going to be fine. We're not interested in waging war. Why have you suddenly come to wage war with us? We've come to take Shimshon back to Aza because Shimshon is doing battle against us. He's the one who's saving the Jewish people from the Plishtim. But wait a minute. I thought, who's supposed to save the Jewish people from the Plishtim? Shevet Yehuda? Why is Shevet Dan Saving the Jewish people from the Plishtim. Shevet Dan, if you remember, Shimshon is from Dan, is always helping Yehuda do what Yehuda has to do. Shevet Dan, Aholiyah ben Achisamach, helped Betzalel ben Ori build a Mishkan. Shevet Dan is supposed to be with Shevet Yehuda, helping, helping the Jewish people lead them to do what has to be done. But Shevet Yehuda is not doing what they have to do, and so Shimshon is doing it by himself. And the Plishtim have come to imprison him. That's why they've come. What do the tribe of Yudah do now? What do you expect them to do? It's unbelievable. Vayerudu pasuk yir alef, vayerudu shloshet alafim ish. 3,000 soldiers from Shevet Yudah go down to where Shimshon is hanging out and they say to him, Don't you know that the Plishtim are ruling over us? What are you doing? Excuse me, why are you creating trouble? Why are you creating a revolution? Well, it's not, the time has not come for us to uh, remove the Plishtim from the land. We are subjugated to the Plishtim. Why are you causing trouble? Etc., etc. Why have they come? They have come to take Shimshon and with a guard of 3,000 soldiers take him over to the Plishtim and hand him over. So where was Shevet Yehuda in the Sefer Shoftim? Shevet Yehuda is not only copping out of their responsibility. Shevet Yehuda is leading the Jewish people in the opposite direction. They're afraid. They're unable to take responsibility. They're not unable to take leadership. And they've handed it over to the Plishtim. That's Shevet Yehuda. Um, let's go back to Megillat Ut. That's very clear. No question about that. Let's go back to Megillat Ut and begin the story of Megillat Ut. 
Vahi bimei shvot shoftim. And of course now we know what, what this period is like. And now we're, right, the camera is now focusing on Beit Lechem Yehuda. Beit Lechem Yehuda, of course David came from Beit Lechem Yehuda, from Boaz, okay? And so we can assume that Beit Lechem Yehuda is the center of the tribe of Yehuda. The leading families of Yehuda live in Beit Lechem Yehuda. <coughs> One of the leaders of the tribe of Yudah, because there's a famine in the land, acts exactly like Shevet Yehudah has been acting in Sefer Shuftim. That means shirking responsibility, leaving when there's trouble, there's a famine in the land, and of course this, 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 this of course there's an irony, How, what, what do we call this town? Beit Lechem. There's an, the people, the leaders of Beit Lechem, because of the famine in the land, they have a little money, so they go to Switzerland. They take off. Sorry? They go to the enemy. We're about to say that. Mm-hmm. Say it out loud. <laughs> they went to the enemy. They went to the enemy. A little earlier in Sefer Shoftim, we learn about Eglon, the king of Moab, who does battle against the Jewish people. I mean, if, there, if there's any place to go, why go to Moab? <laughs> Let's think about it for a minute. I mean, I don't have enough time. The, the Torah says in Sefer Dvarim, you shouldn't marry into Moab. Why? Because? Tell me why? They didn't give you bread and water. They didn't give you bread and water. They didn't give you bread and water when you passed by. So now, if, you, if there's any place you want to go, you're going to go but to them? You want to save your skin by going to them? It's unbelievable. This is what the, uh, if you look at the page in the, the Makarot, that's exactly what Chazal had to say about this story. Then we're number two. We read it in English. Didn't I do a great, a great, uh, what do you call it? Gave you a great matana. All in English. Our rabbis taught, it is not permitted to go forth from the land of Israel to a foreign country unless two sa'ars are sold for one sella. That's not a lot of wheat for a certain amount of money. That is to say, the famine in the land is so great that you can't find a little bit of wheat for so much money. Rabbi Shimon Baruchai said this is permitted only when one cannot find anything to buy. But one is, one is able to find something to buy. Even if a sala, sa'a costs a seller, one must not buy. And so said Rabbi Shimon, Yochai, Elimelech, Machlon, and Kilion were the great men of their generation. And they were also leaders of their generation. Why then were they punished? They died. Because they left Israel. I don't know why it says Palestine. For a foreign country, it is written, and all the city was astir concerning them. When, they, when Naomi came back, everybody was amazed. Let's look at Naomi. But what were they? Okay, what were they amazed about? And the woman said, "Is this Naomi?" And, 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 and like the Gemara is saying, of course they knew this was Naomi. That was not what they were saying. Of course they knew. They weren't asking, "Is this Naomi?" They knew this was Naomi. They were asking, "Is this what Naomi looks like? Is this what?" Is this what happened? What happened to her that 
Perhaps she aged. Who knows how much, how, how much she aged after losing her husband and two children, spending how many years, we don't know how many years, in quite a few years, quite a few years in Moab, clearly she aged. They didn't recognize her. What have you gone through, Naomi? That's what the Midrash is pointing out. That's what they meant to ask. Rabbi Yitzhak said, they said, did you see what befell Naomi who left Palestine for a foreign country? The fact that she left Eretz Yisrael, we'll ask ourselves in a minute, when finally we talk about Naomi, could she do anything about it when she left with her husband? We'll talk about that in a minute. Rabbi Chia ben Abin said in the name of Rabbi ben Koche, Rabbi ben Koche didn't like this answer because it seems it was too critical of the leaders of Yehuda. We don't want to go that far that they left everybody behind to starve. That's going too far. So Rabbi ben Koche says, God forbid, God forbid that any of his family should be condemned for leaving Palestine. For had they found even only brand, they would have not left the country. They wouldn't have left Eretz Israel. Why then was punishment inflicted upon them? Because they should have begged mercy for their generation and they did not do so, etc. What is the story, the first few Pesachim of Megillat Ud asking us about the nature of the leaders? What kind of leaders are we supposed to have for the Jewish people? Who are supposed to be the leaders? What are the leaders supposed to be like? We're not talking about waging war against the Canaanim right now. What are the leaders of the Jewish people supposed to do when the people are in pain? When the people are starving? What are they supposed to do? The Gemara in Masechet Ta'anit asked that question not just about the leaders of the Jewish people, but about every one of us. About every person who lives in a community. What do we do when there's trouble out there in the rest of the community? Where do we go? The Rab- Sorry? The rabbis taught, when the people of Israel are in trouble and one of them leaves them for the purpose of avoiding the trouble, two angels will, accom- two angels will accompany them, accompany him, lay their hands upon his head and say, the man who separates himself from the community which is in distress shall not see the prosperity of the community. The rabbis also taught, when the community is in distress, a person should not say to himself, I will secure myself in my home and eat and drink and peace be upon me. Therefore, a person should share the common distress of the community, as we see in the case of Moshe, who always shared the troubles of his people, as it is written. But when the hands of Moshe became heavy in the story of Amalek, they took a stone and put it under them, and he sat thereon. And asked the Midrash, Moshe didn't have something to sit on, he needed a stone? He couldn't have brought like a, uh, you know, a pillow, a bolster? Yes, but Moshe said, because the community is in distress, I shall not act as if... I have a better standard of living. Let's, I'm a leader. I can drive around and who knows what if the rest of the rest of my people can't find a job. I don't do things like that. And so the story begins with Elimelech and Machlon Bechilion, the leaders of the Jewish people, leaving their community behind. And we ask ourselves, finally, we have to talk about Naomi sometime. Uh, What about Naomi? We don't know. We assume, in that time, in that period, of course not today anymore, that uh, if Elimelech said to Naomi, listen, we're leaving right now so that 
we can join the aristocracy in Moab, which of course is where he went, because that's where the money was. We'll join them and we'll live, we'll stay there until you know trouble passes. And we're not sure what Naomi had to say about that in the kitchen. Because Naomi had to go with him. And then he dies. And her sons who married Moabite women, what the leaders of Yehuda had their sons marry Moabite women. Although Benot Moab, we just read a few weeks ago, seduced the men of Israel at the end of Parshat Balak. That's where you have to go. Of course, Ruth is the tikkun of that in the other shei that we're not talking about. Okay. But we'll begin, we'll begin with Pasuk <coughs> Vav. We don't know anything about Naomi until Pasuk Vav. Ruth rises up. What do you mean Vatakom, where she rises up? What do you mean she got up? She left. Vatakom seems to be a verb that says, Naomi takes something in her hands, takes something, takes responsibility. She moves, takes herself away from this reality. Vatakom hivachalotera, but her two daughters-in-law, and they return from Sdemoav, because she heard in Sdemoav that Hashem has brought food to the Jewish people. Pasuk Zayim, she leaves the place with her two daughters-in-law, and they, they travel on the way, and I ask myself immediately, why did her two daughters-in-law leave with her? Why did Opa leave as well? They both left with her. The easiest thing to understand in a situation like this is that these two young women would stay in Moab, as Naomi is about to say, to stay with her family. Why did the two women go with her? So Naomi says to them, go back to your mothers. Go back home. There's nothing that I can give you. Of course, everybody knows as exactly what happened to Ruth when she entered the fields in chapter 2. That people are going to look at her as what? A foreigner, of course, in this, at this time, a foreigner from Moab. Nobody's going to support you. You don't get married, you don't get support. Nobody's going to marry you, nobody's going to support you. Why are you coming with me? And they, and they, and they kiss each other and they cry. And I ask myself, I don't have enough time left. Why is Shmuel spending so much time telling me this story about this woman that are, you know, excuse me, you know, Okay, it's an important. They're leaving. They're departing. They're separating. This is the beginning of the story of the of the of the building of the the house of David. This is Shmuel the prophet. Why are you spending so much time telling me this story? But they cried and they kissed each other. Yeah, you know, it's a nice little story. Shmuel began Shmuel Aleph, if you remember, by talking about his mother, Hana, who created who created. We don't have time to talk about it. Who created the name Tzvaot for Hashem? The Gemara says that Hannah was a prophet and she was the first to use the name Tzvaot because by doing so she understood that it was the beginning of a new period in Jewish history, the period of Jewish kingship because the name Tzvaot is connected to Jewish kingship. 
And Hana created that. And Shmuel received that name and he gave it to David, who will use that name against Goliath. How did Moshe's life begin? With a conversation between the daughter of Paro and Moshe's sister about this little baby in the river. And when the Zohar says that the language of humanity was in exile and the redemption of the Jewish people in Israel creates the renewal of language for human beings, I believe that the renewal of language was in the, is in the, the dialogue between the daughter of Paro and the sister of Moshe. And here that we have to understand that something is happening that has to do with the story that Shmuel would like to tell us. And I asked myself, why didn't the daughter, why didn't the daughters-in-law want to leave Naomi? That's the question. Why didn't they want to leave her? It's the, it's, it's the most obvious and the most logical thing for these women to do. And she's and Naomi's saying that all the time. Go back to a place where somebody can support you for the rest of your life. You know, if, what's it called, if uh, Ruth and Orpah's mother was there, of course that's what she would say. You need somebody to support you. Why are you going to Eretz Israel? Nobody's going to help you there. <clears throat> she calls them her, my daughters. Is she saying that's Tom? Or is the relationship between these two young women and Naomi the relationship between daughters and a mother? Did they see in her a replacement of their mother. She said, go back to your mother. They say, I'm staying with, staying with you. <clears throat> and the discussion goes on. And they cry more and more. And Orpa says, okay, I'm going back. She does the logical thing. And we ask ourselves, what kind of a person was Naomi that two young women from Moab would be willing to, to gamble on their life and go with Naomi to the strange country where they're not going to be supported. And I ask a more difficult question. Because when Ruth says, the famous Pasuk Tetzayim, don't try to convince me anymore, though to abandon you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you sleep, I'll sleep. Your, your people are my people. Your God is my people. My God. Of course, that's a bit, we don't, I don't take anything away from Ruth. But she also says, Wherever you, when you die, I will die, and I want to be buried there. That's not a nationalistic ideology. That's not a statement of a convert. That's a statement of a young woman who feels that an older woman is the source of her life. That she cannot be anything without a personal connection to this woman. Because she could have said, your, your, <clears throat> your, people, excuse me, my, your people is my people. Your God is my God. That's what it's all about. Why does she have to, where you die, I, when you die, I will die. And I want to be buried there. I will not leave you even in death. Some other people have used that somewhere else, right? But root means to say, I feel that my very being, my very existence, comes from my relationship with you. That's what she says. 
Well, who's not me that created that kind of relationship with these two young women who refused to leave her? Okay, I'll give you one short example. At the end of chapter 1, they come back to Beit Lechem. Pasuk 19. They come back to Beit Lechem. When they get to Beit Lechem, the whole city is in an uproar. They, everybody, and the women say, is this Naomi? They understand. Of course, we've talked about that. And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Because Shaddai has embittered my life very much. I left with a full and happy life and I came back with nothing. Hashem is probably... Why should you call me Naomi? Hashem, Anabi, has sort of persecuted me. What I would like to suggest is this woman understands the difference between the names of God. And when she uses these two different names, Yud Ke Vav Ke Hashem, and then Shin Dalad Yud, she knows exactly what she's saying. It's not just a throwaway. You know, Baruch Hashem, Hasma Shalom. If you look at the sources, there, excuse me, it's only in uh, in the Hebrew here. Uh, the name Shaddai has a lot of history, and later on in the prophets, it will be used differently. Shaamar the Olam Dai. The Gemara will say that the name Shaddai means that God <coughs> created. Excuse me. <coughs> The God creates boundaries in the world. Let's take a look very quickly. Uh, source number five. <coughs> Every time in Sefer Beishit where the name Shaddai is used, those of you who can read Hebrew should read it quickly. I don't have time to translate it all. Every time in Sefer Beishit where the name Shaddai is used, it is always used with regard to fertility, with regard to the bracha of new life. The first example, Vahi, Avram ben Tishi is 99 years old, and Hashem reveals, revealed to Avram and says, Ani El Shaddai, it's almost like Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am El Shaddai, Talech Lefanai Vieta Mim, Vetna Briti Beniu Venecha Varbeo Tchabi Mod Merod. And I will cause you to have many, many children and grandchildren, Maod Merod. Everywhere we will look, Shaddai always has to do with everywhere, with a covenant of fruitfulness. Fruitfulness of children, fruitfulness of life. At the beginning of Sefer Shemot, we don't have time to see this actually, Hashem will say to Moshe, now is a new period in Jewish history that I'm going to reveal myself as Yud Vavke in the snare. Because Yud Vavke has to do with the redemption of the Jewish people. In Sefer Breshit, I was called Shaddai. And that's because Sefer Breshit, in speaking about God's relationship to the world, says that God's chesed, God's providence, God's gift, God's bracha, His blessing, is, in, is embodied in His name, His revelation is Shaddai. Fertility, fruitfulness, that always has boundaries. 
the gift of life, the gift of blessing, that will have boundaries. And what Naomi says when she comes back from Moab, she says, Shaddai Heimar Li. The revelation of God in the world, the manifestation of God in the world as the source of blessing for the continuation of life, for the fruitfulness of life, is exactly what he took away from me. And she knows how to use the name Yudke Vavke, Yudke Vavke Anali. He answered me, but he answered me by persecuting me. And there's a play on the words Anna and Ina, which reminds us of Mitzrayim. As the Mitzrayim inflicted pain on the Jewish people, so Hashem gave the blessing of fruitfulness. Hashem Inali, He persecuted me. And Shaddai embittered me, which is exactly what happened. I would like to suggest that Noami knows how to use the names of God very, very clearly. Let's go on. 20 more minutes. So they arrive in Beit Lechem. And uh, Nomi disappears from the center stage. And the center stage is Ruth and Boaz. And Nomi goes into the field. Ruth goes into the fields. And the great question that I always ask myself, you know, Boaz sees Ruth and he says, to his, um, what do you call it, to his Menahel Avodah, what we used to call it in the United States, his for, to, the, to his foreman. He says, who's this woman? And it, he says, ah, that's just a young woman from Moab. Don't pay any attention to her. That's what he means. To, that's what he, the foreman means to say, ah, no, Rami Moab, Bami is named Moab. But Boaz doesn't, doesn't agree. He sees something very unique about Ruth. And he talks to her and he gives her, you know, chuparim. I don't have to translate that. He gives her all these wonderful gifts. And I always ask myself, well, wait a minute. What about Naomi? Are you, you know, you're the, you know, you're the family. That's what we'll learn in a few minutes. Boaz is family. Well, why are you having who, you know, follow the, your, your uh, harvesters? Why don't you, and then give Nomi, you know, give Ruth so much money, so much, uh, you know, produce to take back to Nomi? Why don't you just say to Ruth, listen, go home, and don't worry about it. Tell Nomi that I'm going to take care of her. I don't understand. You know, we always think about, but Boaz does a wonderful thing in accepting Ruth and the way he talks to her, relates to her. But why doesn't Boaz just say, wait a minute. Ruth just, the whole Beit Lechem was up in a, you know, this is Naomi. The boss didn't hear about that. I don't get it. So Boaz says to Ruth, you have come under the Knafaim, under the wings of Hashem. Right? Under the Knafaim. Okay, we need to go on. The critical part of this story is as follows. Chapter... <clears throat> to Bet, the last pasuk in Bet Pesuch Gimel, 
ותדבק בנערות בועז ללקט עד כלות כסיר הסעורים וכסיר החיטים ותשב את חמותה. רות קלינגס until the end of the harvest of the barley, which is earlier, between Pesach and Shavuot, and the harvest of the wheat, which is at Shavuot, and a little later, and she goes back to her mother-in-law. And you say to yourself, wait a minute, that's a lot of time. That's at least a few months that she is wandering around in the field and Boaz is helping her out. Toda, I got one already. Toda. I, I will drink yours because you brought it to me. Toda, Amba. What is Boaz doing all this time? Boaz, you really think she's a special woman? You really think that the chesed, she's such a tremendous chesed and you've come under the wings of Hashem? What you, a few months have passed and you, you haven't done anything. Not to Naomi, not to look. Naomi knows that. And what happens now, my dear friends, is... As much as we always talk about Ruth and what she does that evening, that night, in going down to the side of the Gohan, we have to appreciate the fact that, how should I say, nowhere and no time, as we used to say, would Ruth have done that by herself. She would never have done that. Ruth would never have done that by herself. Although, who sent her? Nobody sent her. And so we have to ask the question, why did Nomi send her? What was in Nomi's mind when she sent her? Sorry? She knows that Boaz is the Goel. She knows that Boaz is the Redeemer, not just of... She's not, that, if he, that if he marries Ruth, it's not just going to be a marriage of Ruth, as we learn later, and this is, of course, a complication of, in terms of the halacha, where does this work? But we will not talk about that. But if he marries Ruth, he has to redeem the whole... Family's possession. She could just knock on the door. Why does she have to send Ruth to do this whole thing? You're always taking the next question away from me. <laughs> the, last night I read the perush of Ramosha Kodavel. Not, not bad. And Ramosha Kodavel says, well, okay, if she thought that the time had come for Boaz to be the Goel, why didn't she send, uh, why didn't she just go knock on the door, Boaz, and say, listen, Boaz, Time has come for you to do so, or send, as he says, a you know, a shadchan. Yeah, make a shidduch. Well, you know, send the Boaz's, uh, who knows what. Why, why go through this whole story? Send down Ruth and then uh, have her get dressed up, you know. And, and of course, the Ramak asks the obvious question: Is this sinuot of, of Jewish women? Is this what Nomi, the paradigm, uh, who understands the names of God and the, these young women follow her everywhere she goes? And this is what she wants to teach Ruth as the convert. This is what Jewish women are like. What is she doing? The question is about Naomi, not about Ruth. And when you ask the question about Naomi, it's a different kind of a question. Because she, Naomi, is an older woman who understands. And she's doing something. Excuse me, she might be, you know, it's called manipulation, but it's not manipulation, it's creating reality. She's creating reality. But why is creating reality like this? The one thing I'd like to point out in what Naomi says to Ruth, Peragimo chapter 3, 
uh, start from the beginning. Naomi, her mother-in-law, we all know that she's her mother-in-law. Maybe this is what, you know, I'm not going to say that. BT, uh, my daughter, and I think that that is what their relationship really is. It is, Ruth is her daughter. Of course, she will be her daughter in a few minutes when she gives birth. Uh, my daughter, although what, what Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law was you're not going to have menucha in Eretz Yisrael. You're not going to have a life to support you. There's going to be someone who's going to be a menuch for you. And of course we know that also menuch was the father of Shimshon in Shoftim. I want to give you a menuch. This is what she wants to do for Ruth. You're going to have someone who will support you. You're a menuch. But that's not all. Vatalo Bozmo, Vatalo, he's our relation. And you are with your with your young women. He's going down to the silo, whatever that is. Right? Go to, go to the bath. Put on oils. Put on your beautiful clothes. Go down to the golem. Make sure nobody knows, sees you until he, you know, hide there. What can I say? Until he finishes eating and drinking, and when he lies down, you should you should see from your hiding place where he is lying down. And you should go there and lie down and gilit et margolotav v'shachav t'vuyagidach etashat. What does she mean by gilit margolotav? Expose his, uh, the ends of his, you know, his ankles and this part of his feet. What does that mean? I mean, it sound, doesn't sound good. Sounds like she's saying to her, you know, I want to steal it's clear. What I'd like to suggest though is that's not that's not what she's saying. She's saying something very, very specific. And I would like to try to show you this in the text. Why uncover this man's because we know that later on when when Boaz goes to the bed then how do they make a kinyan in this part of the world? How do they make a, uh, a legal purchase, a legal transaction in this part of the world? Somebody takes off their shoe. Well, why do they do that? That's not just a throwaway. It's because, as the Torah says, There are two times you read Kriyat Shema. When you're at home, and when you're going to work. When you're sitting in your home, doesn't just mean when you're going, driving in your car, it means when you're at home at night, when you go on your way, that means when you go to your work. Uh, I once said this somewhere, and somebody said to me, you know, there we found the shoe of some king somewhere, and on the bottom of the shoe... There is written all of the places that this king has conquered. Why? Because that's where he walks as a king. That's why they took off their shoe and they said, in a sense, I'm taking off my ownership of this object and handing it over to you. That's the shoe. But it's not that's not the end of it. Because all the way through 
Let's take a look quickly at, uh, sorry, chapter 3. Pasuk Tet, Pasuk 9. What does Ruth say? 3.9. He wakes up in the middle of the night and trembles at this amen. There's a woman sleeping on my feet. And he's a tzaddik. What are you doing here? Who are you? I am root. Your ama uparasta kenafecha alamatecha kigulelatan. She uses the same language that he used for her. The simple thing is that she is saying, just like you said that God will put his wings over you, I'm asking you to put your kenafayim over me. And in doing so, you act in the name of God. That's the simple reading of the text. And it's clear that that's what she's saying to him. It's not just Hashem, you know, up in the sky. Somebody has to do it, and you're the one. But it's more than that. Because if we look quickly, and the one or two sources at the word kanaf, as it's used in the Tanakh, we will discover that the word kanaf has to do with the relationship between a husband and a wife. And what she's actually doing here is she is suggesting that he marry her. It is a proposal. Take a look, for instance, we'll do this quickly, at source number seven. Lo yikach ishet, ishet aviv, lo knaf aviv. A man should not take the wife of his father, should not have relations, then I take it as a wife, lo because in doing so he will reveal the knaf of his father. And it's clear that this is a, a euphemism for the, the intimacy of his father. But why call it a knaf? <clears throat> says the Ramban, number eight, and the reason why the Torah uses the word knaf aviv, because it is sort of, uh, we don't, we're talking about intimacy, we want to respect the father. The second sentence, it's not proper to reveal his kanaf that he placed on his wife, just as it says in root, the kanaf, is also what is also what David cuts off from Shaul in the cave, and then says, "Why did I cut off the kanaf? The kanaf is the uh, if you have a robe, it's like the, the the end of the robe is like a wing, and if you place the robe on someone, you are taking responsibility for that person. And the kanaf of a man in this context." When you place it over a woman, is you are taking economic responsibility, you are marrying this woman. And when it's used in the context of kingship, which is the other place in the Tanakh it's used, you're talking about a king. And when David cuts off the kanaf of Shaul's robe, what he has done is that he is rebelling against Shaul as a king. And that's why David is so upset after what he's done. It's not just that I've come into the, you know, uh, violated Shaul's personal space. I've cut off the symbol of his kingship. <clears throat> if you reveal the Margalot, what Naomi is saying to Ruth, is you take his kanaf and you put it up and you say to him, place your kanaf over me. And in saying that, she is saying to him, 
it's been really wonderful to have this personal relationship. This, you know, what, what, what we used to call it, I already forget. This relationship with you for three months, when you always talk to me on how much I'm a wonderful woman, the time has come to take responsibility for me and to take responsibility for the life of Naomi and to take responsibility for the possession of your family because you are the Redeemer. And what I'm doing here right now at, the, at, your, at your feet is I'm asking that your kanaf, that you begin to take responsibility for your kanaf. That's what Naomi wanted Boaz to do. Because Naomi says, I've been here now for so much time and he hasn't even called me on the telephone to tell me that he's going to take responsibility for me. He's only sending root to me. And he's not taking responsibility for Elimelech and for Machlon the Kilion and for the possession of our family. He's the Goel. He's our relative. I am sending you there. Because if in this family somebody doesn't get up and begin to take responsibility for those around him as a leader, nothing is going to change. And you, Boaz, are going to be the one to begin the change in Shevet Yehuda in microcosm. Because you're going to begin to take responsibility not for all of the Jewish people, but for one woman, and for another woman, Naomi, and for the whole possessions of our family. You're going to take, you're the goel, you're going to take responsibility for that. And by putting your kanaf over root, I can't come and knock on the door and make the suggestion. You're going to have to be put in a, a life situation in which you're going to have to take and make a decision and finally act like Boaz as a leader who takes responsibility for all those around him. And in doing so, there will be beginning of a tikkun. Even though it's just going to be, as it were, on a personal level, on the level of our family, although we're speaking about the name of our family in the tribe of Yehuda, our possession. And Baruch Hashem, Boaz says, stay till the morning, another two minutes, stay till the morning, and in the morning, I'm going to do it. And what does, what does Naomi say when Ruth comes home and she tells him the story? He, she says, don't worry about it. He's going to not even let a day pass. He's going to do it right away. He's going to do it in the morning. And something happens to Boaz. Boaz is not the same Boaz as he was in chapter 2. Who didn't, didn't relate to Naomi at all. Just always giving these wonderful gifts to Ruth to go home with. Suddenly Boaz is a new person who goes to the bed then and Brian, there's, an, uh, you know, there's, there's another girl, a closer relative, says, okay, you do it. Ah, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. When, you know, when, when the closer relative says, I'm not going to do it, he's just continuing to act like Shevet Yehuda. But Boaz says, I'm going to do it. And he does it on the next morning. And that's the beginning of a new life for Shevet Yehuda. And a new life for the Jewish people. And in my humble opinion, it might be possible to say, that's why, that's why Shmuel ends this wonderful story by saying, this son, who will be the grandfather of David, is really the son of, you, of Naomi. Because Naomi was the one who made this whole thing possible. Even though it was Ruth in a wonderful 
amazing qualities that she had that actually did it. But it was Naomi who instigated, who thought, who pushed it through, who suggested, who understood what needed to be done. And in the end, brought to us David HaMelech. I hope it made some sense, and I think we didn't forget about Ruth, but we gave Naomi at least a center stage for once in our lifetime. Toda <laughs> Allah.